This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Welcome to Grace Server Online. My name is Jacob. I'm so glad that you're here, man. I hope that you're encouraged as a result of today. I've been praying for you, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to dive in to what God would have for us here today. Today we're in week two of our new series called What We All Need. This is a short series. We're actually ending the series this week, and uh, throughout this series, we've been talking about all the things that we need. Last week, Chris talked about how we can find significance. Often, we try to find our significance in our spouse or our jobs or the uh, commas that are in our bank account or um, what we do for a living. Like all of these things, we try to find our significance in. None of us in the world want to be insignificant. And so what we do is we put all of our energy into these things. But here's the thing. If we put all of our energy into all of these worldly things, what we're going to do is we're going to end up falling short. There's only one way that we can find lasting significance in this life, and it's through the person of Jesus. You see, the path to significance is found when we realize that this life is not about us. Mark 10.45 actually says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So even Jesus understood when he lived here on this earth over 2,000 years ago that this life is not about him being served, but him having the opportunity to serve others. We get to model our lives after Jesus, after this verse. But can we just be honest with ourselves? It's really hard to serve people sometimes, especially the ones that aren't like us, especially because we live in a consumeristic culture where it's all about me, myself, and I. I don't know about you guys, but I love when people serve me. Like my wife, she'll ask me to massage her back, and I'm like, I don't really want to massage her back because my fingers start to cramp, and it's just really painful, and, and I start to whine after about two minutes, and she tells me to get over it. But I love when she gives me a back massage. It's the best thing in the entire world. But why? Because I like when she does something for me, but oftentimes, I don't like whenever I have to do the same thing back. And we love so much when people serve us that so oftentimes when we do serve others, we do it out of the expectation that people are actually going to serve us back. And that's the danger that we can get in. And when we look at this verse, I can't help but think of the fact that like, when we follow Jesus, we're really following an upside-down kingdom as compared to to culture. Culture is all about me, myself, and I, but when you follow Jesus, it's about Jesus and others. And so today, what I want us to do is I want to help us shift our focus and begin to look through a different lens. And, and I want us to see this lifestyle that God has called us to be a part of. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to be in Luke 10, and we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan and how the, how the story of the Good Samaritan, no matter who you are or what you've done, can make an impact in your life and help you take a next step in your spiritual journey of what it means to meet, know, and follow Jesus. And so before we dive into this story, I think it's important that we get some context. Just a few verses before, we see the story of a lawyer who confronts Jesus. And, and he says this in Luke 10, 25. The lawyer says this to Jesus. He stands up uh, around a crowd and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And I, and I just imagine how tense this moment would have been. This lawyer isn't the lawyer that you tend to think of in our culture. This lawyer would have been an expert in the religious law. And he wasn't doing this because he was genuinely wondering what he has to do to inherit eternal life. He was asking this question to cause some tension between him and Jesus, to try and stump Jesus, in a sense. And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus responds to this question with a question. He says this, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And every Jewish kid at this time would have known how to answer, the, how to, how to answer this question by the time that they were five. And so what does he say? He, he says what he knew since he was a little kid. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength, and all of your mind. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself and Jesus is like yep you've answered the question you've done it great job you know we're done we're, we're out of here and, and I just imagine that the crowd that was that was watching in on this moment just sighed this big sigh of relief thinking man this is finally over this knucklehead is gone like we can go to lunch now this is amazing and what we see here in the next verse is that the lawyer actually wasn't done yet. He has another question and he baits the trap by asking, and who exactly is my neighbor? And how does Jesus respond? He responds back with another question and a story to help get his point across, which is the story of the good Samaritan. And so read with me in verses 30 through 32. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on to the other side. Side. And so what do we know? We know that this Jewish man was traveling uh, along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what we know is that this road would have been really dangerous. Uh, uh, this, this road was really notorious for people getting mugged. It would be like me starting this story by saying once upon a time, there was a guy that was walking down Skid Row. You just know by the, by the beginning of the story that this guy is not going to end up very good. Like this is a dangerous road that you don't want to walk down. And it was a Jewish man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. It said that he was beat half dead, left on the side of the road and he was stripped of all of his belongings. This is a gruesome part of the story. Like this is, this is rough. And so you're thinking that somebody's going to come and help. Right? Somebody's got to see this guy that's laying on the side of the road, begging for help. He's bleeding out. He's stripped of all of his clothes. And, and people are walking by this gruesome scene. And so you're thinking, people are going to help. And if anybody's going to help, it's going to be a religious leader. And so a priest walks by. And you're thinking, ah, the priest, if anybody's going to help, it's going to be the priest. He's a man of God. He, he's walking by. He has to help this Jewish man. But nope, the second person walks by. And the second person was a Levite. And the, the Levite was simply a temple assistant uh, who had a special role in taking care of religious business. And so you're thinking that this religious leader, this Levite, would come and he would see and he, and he would help this Jewish man that was left stranded on the side of the road. But nope. And so a third person 
comes along and it says, a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. It's really important for us to understand how scandalous this moment would have been. The fact that a Samaritan and a Jew were together would have been a sight that people would have gasped at. They would have said, what in the world is this uh, Samaritan man doing helping this Jew? Uh, Samaritans and Jews, they were like oil and water. water. They didn't mix. They had this deep tension, this deep rivalry, and, and they just didn't like each other. Oftentimes we think that racism is something new, but like racism dates all the way back to scripture. It would have been... It would have been like, you think about the biggest sport, sports rivalry, like a, a Cardinals fan helping a Cubs fan. We don't do that, right? Like, we're Cardinals fans. Just multiply that times 100 on the scale of significance. Like, this was a really, really big deal. These people wouldn't have associated with each other. And so it says a despised Samaritan came along. And what did he do? He went over to him, and the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. And so this despised Samaritan helps out this Jew. And what I love is that it says that he was led by compassion to help this person. He bandages him up, he, he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to the inn. And it says that he paid two silver coins to the innkeeper to keep him there, to, to, uh, to put him in a safe space for him to, to heal up. And uh, this was significant because two silver coins would have equaled out to about two full days worth of work. And so the fact that this despised Samaritan would help out a Jew was a really, really big Deal. And so Jesus comes back and he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who is attacked by bandits? The man replied, the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy. I think it's really interesting that the lawyer couldn't even associate a, a Samaritan with something good. And so he says, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say his name. And then it says, then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And so what are three things that we can learn from the story of the Good Samaritan? First, I think that we can learn this really big idea of leading with love. You see, at our core, every single person wants to be loved. It's how we were created. And when we feel loved, we feel valued. We feel cared for. We feel seen. Every single person wants to feel loved. But sadly for this Jewish man, he felt no love. As he was laying on the side of the road, stripped of all of his belongings, beaten half to pieces, he felt no love. And the thing is, is that I think that people really saw him, but nobody really noticed him. There's a difference between seeing somebody and noticing them, right? Seeing, you can passively see somebody it, it's another thing to actively notice the thing and the issue that they're dealing with, the pain and the anguish that is in their life. And maybe you feel that pain today. Maybe you feel like a lot of people see you, but nobody really notices you. 
And you're just waiting for that Samaritan man, somebody that's similar to the Samaritan man that comes and helps the Jewish person. Here's the thing. When we, when we begin to ask the question, what are things that we need? We all need love and we all need to be the givers of love. And the thing about it is, is that we can't control what others do, but we can control what we do. And so today, would you decide that you're going to be a person that leads with love in every scenario, within every moment of your day, even when it's hard? You see, the entire law was summarized into these two commandments, and they both begin with the L word. They both begin with love. You're to love your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this responsibility to love even when it's difficult. And the, the beautiful thing is, is that we have this example of love because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us by coming, by, by dying on a cross so that we might be able to experience everlasting life so that we might be able to experience the love of Jesus, the love that forgives us when we fall short. You see, when loving God and loving people begins to become our focus, everything else takes a back seat. That is the top priority. As a follower of Jesus, we have to be people that are committed to the mission of loving God and loving people. So today, would you decide that you're going to be a person that leads with love? The second thing that we can learn from this story is to just slow down. If you're watching this today, just take a deep sigh of relief. <sighs> just slow down. Maybe today you feel like your moments, your days, your weeks, and your months are just running together. You can't seem to get a, a, a gasp of fresh air because you're constantly on the run. Maybe you're here today and, and, you're, and you're juggling your family, you're juggling your kids and, and all the things that go into taking care of kids, sports activities, school, and, and, and all of those things. And maybe you're also balancing your, your own personal life and your spiritual life and going to church and doing all of these things. There are so many things that are on your plate. And on top of all that, you just feel like you've got to keep up with the Joneses. And, and it's just leaving you feeling a little dizzy. It's left you feeling out of breath. Maybe you would say that the, the days are long, and, but the years are short, and you have oftentimes found yourself saying, I'll do this when life slows down. I'll do that when life slows down. And it's been one year, two years, three years, and, and things just haven't slowed down. You see, the, the, the priest and the Levite, we don't know why they didn't stop, why they didn't stop when they saw the need to help this uh, to help this Jew that was left on the side of the road. But within our culture, I think it's, I think the reason why we pass by so many opportunities to share the love of Christ is because we're just too busy. We have too many things on our plate and it's, cop and, and it's causing us to just keep walking. So oftentimes maybe you can relate to the priest and the Levite because you see a need, but you just keep walking because you have way too many things that you have to do. I wonder how many opportunities we've passed up recently because of how busy we are. We are people of hurry. Can I tell you, don't let the busyness of life get in the way of what God wants to do in and through you. I want to encourage you to find a rhythm of rest and commit to it. And you do that by slowing down. The third thing that we learn from this story is that when you see a need, 
fulfill the need. Here's the catch. If you don't do step one and you don't do step two, you likely won't do step three. Step one and two are foundational to accomplishing step three. The priest and the Levite saw the need, but they kept on walking. But the Samaritan person saw the need and they fulfilled the need. What I love about this story is that we don't know where the Samaritan was going. We don't know what his timetable was. If he was running late to his next appointment, we don't know any of that. But what we do know is that he led with love. He slowed down. He saw a need and he fulfilled that need. And guess what? He did that to somebody that didn't look like him, talk like him, or even believe like him. You see, it's really easy for for us to, to love and to be kind to those that are like us. But what about the people that are different than us? What about the people that don't look like us? The people that don't share the same zip code as us? The, the people that don't share the same socioeconomical status as us? What about the people that are different than us? You see, when we follow God, we follow this upside down kingdom as compared to culture. We follow the rules. We follow the, the kingdom that says that God has died for every single person, that Jesus has come to live a perfect and sinless life, to die for each and every single person. And so our response is to love each and every single person. And so maybe you're wondering, man, who's my neighbor? Your neighbor is everyone that you come in contact with, even the people that aren't like you. And so as we close out today, I want to encourage you to go into your world this week. Go into your world committed to lead with love, committing to slow down. And when you see a need, would you commit to fulfilling that need? Because can I tell you, when you do so, you're being obedient to the very thing that God is calling you to do. And God honors obedience. So What I want you to do this week is commit to doing those three things or maybe just commit to leading with love and and committing to slowing down before you do the other things because when you do step one and two, step three will come and you will be ready to fill that need when it arises. I'm so glad that you are here. I hope that you were able to take a next step in your relationship with God and I hope to see you back here at church every single Sunday, 8.30, 9.45, 11 o'clock. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I want to do so. And so I hope to see you soon. Can I pray for you as we finish up here today? God, we love you. And uh, we just come before your throne here today, expectant that you're going to use us in a mighty way. Help us to go into our circle of influence. Help us to go into our lives this week, prepared to lead with love, prepared to slow down and prepared to fill the needs of the people that are all around us. God, help us to reflect the love that you have placed in our lives to others so that other people may have the opportunity to meet, know, and follow you. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.